Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, I invite you to be opening to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15. And if you have trouble finding that, one of our shepherds, Stan Tumlin, says you're in good company. Uh, but it will also be in the screen uh, if you need that this morning. I'm excited next week uh, our student minister, Justin Peach, will be sharing a message with you. I appreciate Justin stepping in, and then I'll be back on September 18th, as was mentioned just a little while ago, for our Vision Sunday, and I hope that you'll join us for that. Uh, today is our final message in the series World Game Changer. Uh, you'll notice all the flags behind me as we have been exploring this concept, this idea of the kingdom of God being every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and, and what that means and what that looks like. And, and so um, it, it's been a visual for us just to be reminded that, that the kingdom of God is bigger than, than us. It's bigger than just this church. It's, it's bigger than, than any one individual. And, and as we think about the kingdom of God, our mission is to make and grow followers of Jesus and our vision is that we want to see kingdom-devoted disciples making disciples of nations and generations. You've heard me say this a lot over the past year, and I will continue uh, to talk about this. Um, and this is not just when we talk about the kingdom, we're not just talking about, okay, this, this one-on-one -on -one Bible study that you have to do uh, with some, somebody. The, the kingdom is, is much bigger than that. The kingdom is where the king, as we talked about last week, the ascended Jesus, who now reigns as king, where, where he dominates. And so his kingdom rules and reigns where, where what he wants done happens. It's a happening. And so the, the kingdom of God in, includes things that, that Jesus would want to happen. So like in Matthew 25, where Jesus says, whatever you, you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. So mama's with a, a new baby. When you're caring for a baby, I mean, who, who, who is more than the least of these than, than a child? Like this is the kingdom of God breaking out. Uh, when, when we are, are participating in that which the king desires in our lives, this is what we are experiencing. So we've been exploring for several weeks the, the world game-changing reality of Jesus' coming, uh, why He came, and the good news of the kingdom that His coming proclaimed. Uh, for several weeks, we've, we've been looking at the coming of the kingdom through Jesus, and last week we saw how Jesus is leaving, His ascension declared His kingship, and this week we will consider the kingdom not just come but the kingdom complete. The kingdom complete. And so, came across this story a few weeks ago. Jeremy Barossa had finally made it to his wedding day. Uh, Jeremy is a firefighter in Minnesota. Uh, you'll see a picture of he and his bride on the screen. They decided to get married in the firehouse. And so, they had the wedding there. People were gathered. And they had just got through saying their vows. They had just got through saying their I do's when a call comes in to the station. And so there are uh, guys that are scrambling to try to get enough. They know this is a house fire that's not far away. They're, they're scrambling to try to get enough help to go and, and fight this fire. And so Krista, Jeremy's wife of about two minutes, looks at him and says, just go. 
And so he puts on his, his gear, he goes for about two hours. He and these other firefighters fight the fire and thankfully they were able to get it under control and they were able to, to, to rescue those who were uh, in danger at that time. And as I thought about this, this story, uh, Jeremy was gone for two hours, yet he and his bride were shaped by a mission and a vision bigger than themselves. They had just been married for two minutes, yet they understood the mission. They understood that they were shaped by something bigger than them. And so the church, the church must be a world game-changing reality that is shaped by a mission and vision that's bigger than ourselves. It's bigger than us as we make and grow followers of Jesus who seek first that which Jesus talked more than anything else about, the kingdom of God. Uh, as a mission field, we recognize that we're invited to participate in everyday life, this field. And this is as, as we've entered the waters of baptism and now we are living the baptized life, uh, we are invited to participate in this. And so some faith traditions will actually put their, their baptistry by the front door. And it's almost a way of saying that, that, that this is the way you come in, by being immersed in trusting the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ as the story that you are now a part of. This is the way that you enter, a story that includes we as a people being on our way to the future reality of a kingdom that has already come. So I'm going to throw at you a, a $2 theological word. And, and the word, the phrase is inaugurated eschatology. Now you probably will not use this word in your dinner parties this week. I get it. Like I was at a football game last night. Nobody came up to me and said, hey, what do you think about inaugurated eschatology? And it probably won't ever happen unless, you know, I'm in one of my preacher circles or something. But uh, th this is a, an idea, it's a concept of that basically says the kingdom of God has come through the coming of Jesus. It's been inaugurated but will not be complete until his second coming. So that word eschaton, it just means last days, the end times. And so this, this end times has already been inaugurated. It's already come and the mission of the church must be shaped by the ultimate hope of the world. And so we have a class that is meeting right now on Sunday mornings that is talking about this, surprised by hope. Like this is, this is a, 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 something that we're, we're talking about. So, so last week we looked at Acts chapter 1 after Jesus had ascended into heaven. So before we get to 1 Corinthians 15, let's, let's remind ourselves where we were last week, Acts chapter 1, verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was gone, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And here's really, if you want to just go ahead and get points one, two, and three of today's message, here it is, and that is Jesus is coming back to keep his promises. This is a reminder for us as a church. And we see this idea often in the New Testament, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And now to 1 Corinthians 15, 
Here's where I want us to camp out for a moment. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he's kind of coming to this close of, of this letter. And in chapter 15, here's what he says, verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, this is the word that we see all throughout the New Testament, parousia, this, this coming. At his coming, those who belong to Christ, verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. We have, I'm going to tell you something you already know, we have not yet experienced the world without evil. We have not yet been freed from the bondage of sin and death completely. This is the reality that, that we find ourselves in. There is a promise, though, that Christ will come back. So because of who God is, we believe in what he's going to do. I heard one preacher say recently that the return of Christ, the return of Jesus is a historical fact that just hasn't happened yet. The return of Christ is coming. And when he comes back, it will not just be the kingdom come, it will be the kingdom complete. And he will put an end to all other kingdoms. And isn't that good news? That he will stop everything that's evil and broken in our world. John 5, 2, Jesus says this really curious thing. He says, moreover, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Now, wait just a second. How is judgment good news? I mean, this is a, this is a word that is, is pretty unpopular in our day and age. I mean, we, we don't want to be considered people who, who judge others, you know, or we don't want to be considered judgy. I mean, this is, this is unpopular language today. Acts 17, 31, Paul says in Athens, he says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul is telling the people about Jesus without even mentioning his name. So let's be honest, this is not a popular word for us today, the word judgment. And here's what's interesting is that we cry out for justice, yet we decry judgment. We live in a world that wants justice but doesn't want judgment. And yet the world will discover that when Jesus brings the kingdom in full, those two will not be separated. He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. And so how can judgment be good news? 
Because right alongside that real promise of judgment, we proclaim mercy that comes through the same Jesus who came to save. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus faced your judgment. Jesus faced my judgment on the cross. This is where he faced it so that on that day you would not experience judgment, but you would experience mercy. And through the good news, we can experience salvation today and on that day. Church, Jesus is not like an earthly judge. He is not one who is limited in perspective. He's not one who's limited in knowledge. He's not one who is limited in wisdom. Jesus is not like your grandma who may have judged you. Jesus is not like the, the person that when you think of someone judging you, you they come in. Jesus is not like them. Jesus is the perfect judge. He has perfect knowledge, perfect wisdom, and he will be a perfectly just judge. And the good news of judgment is that he, the king, will bring the kingdom in full, and he'll speak to rulers and authorities in this world, and he'll say, you no longer get the last word. So back to 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, to, to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority and power. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Even death will die. Probably no secret, um, I have some strange hobbies. Uh, one of those strange hobbies is that uh, I collect obituaries. And that may seem weird, that may seem uncommon to you. I've done a lot of funerals, I've been to a lot of funerals. And I started years ago uh, just collecting the obituary from the funeral. And it's, it's a way to remind me of this reality that one day even death will die. And so I pulled out some of those out of my office where I keep them today. And I was just going through them this morning, remembering some of the lives that have touched this faith family over the years. Martha Hill, Peggy Sizemore, Richard Stewart, Ben Pete, Margaret Parrish, my grandmother, Jane Bach, Dan Newsom, Maurice Reinhardt, 
Martha Brown, Dennis Oliver, Sarah Walters, my grandmother, Tracy Jones, Eugene Barker, Timothy Tumlin, Tammy Thomas, Melissa Walton Moore, Charlie Grantham, Billy Evans, Joe Fowler, Carl Agee, Mike Herbert. Please forgive me if I did not mention your loved one because I only grabbed a small sample of the ones that I had in my office. There are days when, when I look at all the problems in this world, there are days when I look at all the despair in this world, there are days when I look at those that have gone home to be with the Lord and I wish that they were still here in some way, but I can't. I look at these things and I think I have no idea how we fix all this. And today I want to remind us that we serve a king that knows how to fix all this. Justice cannot come without judgment and the patience of God is perfect patience. And one of my favorite writers is Jesus' disciple John, and he wrote John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but he also had this prophetic vision inspired by the Holy Spirit to see a forward glimpse of the kingdom coming in its fullness. And we find it in Revelation 21 when he says, verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Hear me, church. The promise of the kingdom complete is that God will do away with everything that is not of him and does not belong to his kingdom. That phrase repeats over and over in my mind, there will be no more. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more miscarriages. There will be no more abuse. There will be no more addiction. There will be no more school shootings. There will be no more chronic pain. There will be no more cerebral palsy. There will be no more autoimmune disorders. There will be no more wheelchairs. There will be no more hospitals, no more funeral homes. There will be no more dialysis clinics. There will be no more DMVs. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more loneliness. There'll be no more despair that when the fullness of the kingdom comes, Jesus will bring a wholeness that we can only get a taste of right now through his Holy Spirit. A deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This is what Paul says the Holy Spirit is. And here's how John would say it, Revelation 21, 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. 
I am making everything new. We welcomed a newborn uh, niece into our family this weekend. And I was just reminded seeing pictures of this newborn, what, what it does to us when we encounter a newborn child. You know, I mean, we could, we could go in the foyer after service today and and you can be talking, you know, very, very churchy to somebody, you know. How are you doing? I'm doing fine today. How are you? It's great to see you. Nice to be here. And then we look over and we see a newborn baby and we're like, oh, how adorable. How precious. I mean, it just brings out our inner child when we see new life. Jesus says, I am making all things new. He doesn't say, I am making new things. Jesus is not starting over. He is bringing a work to completion. This is a work of restoration. It's not just going back to a garden. It's a garden that has experienced flourishing and is now a city. Revelation 22, verse 3, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And it's one of the reasons that our vision for this church is that we're not just a group of people who are holed up in this room, but we are a group of people that desire to see God's kingdom come, not just in this room, but in this city, in this world. God's shalom to come and be, his peace to, to come and be. And so we, we participate in that. We don't go create it. We are invited to just participate in what God is already doing. So we look and see where God is at work, and we go get in on it. That's what we do. Revelation 21.6, he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Those who are victorious will inherit. So what, what is the victory? In our own merit? Our, our own hard work? Our own patting ourselves on the back and saying, job well done? I mean, is this our victory? Look what Paul says back in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you the mystery. Get this. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. 
The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church said, church, give up your kingdom. Repent of your sin. Come to Jesus because he alone offers victory. And the kingdom was always intended to glorify the king. What's eternity going to look like? I don't have all the answers. But I believe that the promises are real. I believe that his promises are real. So hold on to Jesus. And when you don't think you can hold on any longer, let Jesus hold on to you. Let's pray. So, Father, we... Thank you for your word. We pray that we will receive it with an open heart. We pray that we will allow your words to change us. So we pray as your son taught his disciples to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.